Hello. Hello. Look at that little cutie. Oh my god. I already, I already picked him up before, but Ox. he's definitely a feature in this chapter. <laughs> he is quite cute. <laughs> How are you? Good. Waiting for it to rain. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's a Monday. We did it not is, record oh, no. yesterday. No. Um, recovering from Community Day, as many probably were of our listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not a Harry Potter Wizards Unite player, uh, we uh, basically every month there are Community Days, so they're like kind of set time frames. It tends to be a Saturday before quarantine. It was usually three hours long, but. Uh, since quarantine, they've been 24 hours long to help people accomplish them. Yeah, 24 hours. But it also means that for, for those of us who are like obsessed, <laughs> you can play more. <laughs> and so lots of streaming, lots of good fun, great people. It was a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, yesterday we just needed, we needed a day. Mm-hmm. We needed a day. Yeah. How are you doing today, though? Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Just... We cooked a good dinner. Mm-hmm. We have been waiting essentially all day for rain. I was planning to uh, lawn mow and uh, I was kind of waiting for it to rain. It said it would be 2 p.m. and then it said it would be 4 p.m. Yeah. Alas. (laughs) Earwax. Earwax. (laughs) Anything else going on though? Uh, No, not that I can think of. A new event starts tomorrow. The brilliant event. event week two. We got new foundables. I don't know if we talked about that last time, but Draco Malfoy is in the game. Um, with uh, Marcus Flint. And then there's more Quidditch stuff. That's why I brought it up. So mm-hmm. this second week is also Quidditch-themed. Brilliant McGonagall is going to be here. Brilliant other things. And, yeah, we're closing in on 11 months. So I should make that video because I have some thoughts about where they could go. I don't know. This chapter in particular really set me off. This with, with Wizards United. Oh dear. Okay. Well, should we get into it then? Yeah. All right. All right. Wands ready. Turn to page three hundred six. Three hundred. Uh, the heir of Slytherin. Today's lesson is called "Nearly Immortal." Mm. Uh, synopsis. It's a long one. Mm. The chapter begins with Harry nervously entering the Chamber of Secrets, prepared to close his eyes if the basilisk appears. He comes across Ginny's unconscious body, and while trying to rouse her, he encounters a strangely blurry Tom Riddle, who declares that Ginny won't wake and steals Harry's wand. As Harry tries to comprehend what is happening, he manages to provoke Tom Riddle into revealing that he coerced Ginny into all sorts of actions over the year, culminating in having her take herself down to the chamber. He tells Harry that the diary has been the medium through which he has intertwined his soul with Ginny's, Ginny's Wow, that's weird. Jenny's like one of my favorite characters. (laughs) And that he is finally about to subsume her entirely. Riddle also declares that Jenny is merely a pawn in his new goal to confront and destroy Harry, whom he is obsessed with, because he, Tom Marvolo Riddle, reveals, I am Lord Voldemort. During Riddle's diatribe, Harry defends Dumbledore and declares that Riddle will never win. In response, Fox arrives with the sorting hat, much to Tom Riddle's amusement. Riddle then summons the basilisk to to kill Harry. In the fight, Fox blinds the basilisk. Harry pulls a sword out of the sorting hat and manages to slay the basilisk at the cost of a severe poisonous bite. As Harry begins to die, Fox's tears heal his wounds, and before Voldemort can attack with Harry's wand, 
Harry instinctively plunges a basilisk fang into the diary. Ginny awakes and recounts her guilt, and Harry and she leave the chamber, find Ron and Lockhart, and ride Fox back to the girls' bathroom. Hmm. Poor Ginny. She's Poor just so sad. Ginny. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't remember this chapter being so <laughs> intense. I mean, I don't yeah. know. It's very, 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 very intense. Um, Harry asked, he asked Tom Riddle, are you a ghost? And mm-hmm. it brought me back to our previous conversations about how prevalent ghosts are in this book. So we have, uh, Nearly Headless Nick and the Death Day Party. We have Moaning Myrtle pops in and out a lot. We have Bins. Bins. We have uh, this weird Tom Riddle thing because he's not exactly a ghost. But what mm-hmm. I wrote is that perhaps it's just, I mean, the, the we've already talked about how the tone of this book is a lot more serious than mm. and, or darker than before. But I think it's because what I'm taking away is that Hogwarts is haunted by past witches and wizards. Uh, so the history lingers into the future, still persisting. The memories are living. They're living on. And it, it's in this, like, metaphorical sense of, like, or how it, I mean, obviously it's not real to capture a memory in the form of whatever this is. But, like, um, you can think about it, at, it metaphorically, like, in the real world or in mm-hmm. the muggle world of how we preserve things and how things carry on, even though things have happened in the past. So past conflicts and whatever it is that we want to identify. So in this case, we have the conflict between this superiority thing with blood purity. Uh, But that even though things happened in the past, it still lives on. Mm -hmm. And something, I mean, we'll get to it when the conflict happens, but something that stood out to me more this time was the... So we we know about Salazar Slytherin and we know that he had this like other perspective of what Hogwarts should be mm-hmm. and that came into conflict with the other founders and there's I guess I could have like went more into the research of the history of that because in our little chocolate frog cards that like it says on there that Godric Gryffindor and Salazar Slytherin had like conflict mm-hmm. but how it comes out again literally in the form of you have Slytherin's basilisk and mm-hmm. Gryffindor's sword and like it's another it's like present day conflict on old conflicts I guess so that was really fascinating to me yeah not to mention that you have Riddle and Dumbledore Mm -hmm. at odds again still right 60 years later however long it's been I think there's a lot going on in this chapter of course because there's so much is revealed but then there's all these like kind of question marks about what is even going on like uh, if I'm not mistaken, I don't even think we necessarily know at this point that it's the sword of Gryffindor. Harry just no, knows it just it's says a it's sword. Rubies, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think like it's the the best part to me of the chapter is the fact that like in it's very instinctual. So I, I, we know there's been this foreshadowing of Dumbledore saying like help will always be given to. Yeah. Students who ask for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes back in the next chapter. But I think like it's still a re- bigger reflection on just ha- who Harry is, right? That his instinct is combative. Mm. His instinct is in the, in like an appropriate way. His instinct is also like honorable. 
he's very sincere, right? Where Voldemort slash Tom Riddle has used, he declares that he has basically completely conned Ginny Mm. in magical sense, but also like in a very emotional sense. Tom Riddle is a con man to Ginny Weasley and like plays out the con so that he can eventually take what is most precious to her, which would be her own soul. And I think not only that, but also her memories, right? Like compared to the last chapter is very similar to the way he talks about it though, is it's, it kind of reminded me of Dementors a little bit. Mm. Uh, Like he's basically, he is the way he phrased it about being more powerful due to her fear, her insecurities and like how he weaponizes that against her um, in the sense of like, in, in in such a manipulative sense of he's trying to gain her trust and she's like, oh, you're such a great friend, like blah, blah, blah. I can carry you around my po- in my pocket. And like you have this young girl who is just navigating a sea of emotions and just being a kid, you know, <laughs> and dealing with all this stuff, being manipulated by this 16-year-old whatever this thing is and for his own gain. And it's completely insane. I mean, something that I thought about Harry, you were talking about like Harry's reaction is that once he once it is revealed, then he becomes combative because I found it so innocent and pure still that he's kind of like, help me, Tom. Like he doesn't recognize it even when his first instinct is suspicion. Yeah. Even when he realizes, oh, hey, he has my wand. He's like, oh, thanks. You know, he asked multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, and then it He's, kind of yeah and some of his focus is just so much on Ginny. he doesn't even care that tom riddle is there whereas tom riddle is obsessed with the fact that harry is there mm-hmm. i think it goes back a little so it, maybe this is the right time to kind of get into this but the research that i did was on phoenixes mm-hmm. and that's where i kind of wound up coming up with the title of nearly immortal because mm-hmm. i want to contrast like phoenixes and what tom riddle is mm-hmm. trying to do and yes. not only that but bas- the basilisk which was it sheds its skin and all this type of thing. And yeah, it seems yeah. to live a very long time, thousand years. Maybe. Uh-huh. Uh, but here's a lot of information on phoenixes. Uh, so usually phoenixes will nest on mountain peaks and they are gentle herbivores that are not known for fighting. Uh, as phoenix- phoenixes approach their burning day, they resemble a half-plucked turkey. Um <laughs> The bird suddenly bursts into flames. We saw this earlier yeah, in the book. Like, oh only to God. rise from the ashes shortly after. In a number of days, they grow back to full size. Thanks to this ability, phoenixes live to an immense age, perhaps even forever. Of course, they don't know for, for sure. Uh, it is possible. It is a possible rare corporeal form of the Patronus charm, and it is, in fact, Albus Dumbledore's Patronus, mm-hmm. which we see in a later book. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know some of how they look. Apparently, their golden tail feathers are or can be very hot to the touch. That's what Harry said. Yeah, but it's unknown if they're uh, actually capable of burning somebody, as neither Harry nor Dumbledore uh, get burned by them when they touch it. Yeah. So it's speculated that maybe Fox can control the temperature and simply choose not to burn. (laughs) Uh, But of course, the most startling of the abilities is that burning day regeneration. So... Um, they have all these sorts of abilities, uh, including being able to take the full force of a killing curse and still be reborn. Um, they're Mm -hmm. immune to the gaze of a basilisk. Uh, yeah. Mm. 
so, so they're immune to the gaze, but uh, Fox did that because Harry is obviously not right. immune to the gaze. Right. Due to a couple, a couple more things, and then some like quick facts. So, due to phoenixes being very difficult to tame. And being one of the most detached creatures in the world, the wands with phoenix feathers are the pickiest of their owners. Mm -mm. So uh, I don't know that we necessarily know. I think we know Harry's wand has a phoenix feather core, but we don't know anything else beyond that just Uh yet. Um, Now some facts. So first, the phoenix is Harry Potter's, uh, is J.K. Rowling's favorite magical creature, she Mm -hmm. declared. Sparky is the phoenix mascot of the New Zealand Quidditch team, I'm going to butcher the name, so I'll just say the Macaws, the uh, Matahora, possibly Macaws. Apart from Fox, Sparky is now the only known domesticated phoenix. Um, The phoenix is the only life form in existence that defies the otherwise absolute rule that nothing can truly bring back the dead, although it is debatable whether they actually die at all uh, during the, the burning day rebirthing. And last but not least, four 40-foot-tall gilded statues of phoenixes are located in the lobby of the Magical Congress of the United States of America. Makusa! Makusa. That's it. But <laughs> nice. I, I just like... She, she, J.K. Rowling, like, again, I mean, like, her, her imagery, her settings, and the sort of themes that she provokes are so coherent it's really quite impressive like mm-hmm. how because like we've ta- we just talked about memory and like memory yeah. seems like a very it kind of is but but memory is intertwined as you're talking about with like institutional memory and monuments and things like that mm-hmm. it's intertwined with a sense of immortality and mm-hmm. ghosts and things like that and now 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 we're getting that we've taken the even further step to like this level of re- truly confronting the idea of not dying yeah. Like we've seen ghosts, we've seen memories, we're, we're losing memories. What does it mean uh, to have a memory? And now we're literally staring down the down a memory that is trying to like be immortal and come back to life mm-hmm. with who knows what consequences. And then also a phoenix. Yeah. So she puts them juxtaposed in such a such a nice way. Yeah, uh, Harry uh, had this quote that I wrote down. It was, well, now I'm skipping around, but it was like mm-hmm. towards when he realizes that the basilisk thing punctured him and he's kind of like, if this is dying, it's not so bad, mm-hmm. which clearly it, he realizes immediately after that he's not dying, that Fox is actually saving him. And then Tom Riddle like says out loud what's happening, uh, that the Phoenix Tears is has the regenerative or the healing properties. Um but it's it's really uh, the whole the themes of life and death or immortality, death, fear of death, all of that is very present, mm-hmm. um, even explicitly at some points where we're, mm-hmm. we're thinking about what in each year, what is Harry's perspective on dying? Like, what mm-hmm. does it mean to him? I mean, he as we will also find in uh, later books it like more thinking directly about his relationship to death, his parents dying, him like escaping death, like all of this stuff is part of it. And then you have this, what is revealed, Tom Riddle is Lord Voldemort mm-hmm. type thing and his whole thing with death. And it's... Um, and the, I think yeah, one thing that I didn't include in the synopsis is 
But Harry reveals to Tom Riddle how he survived. He survived. Mm -hmm. That his mom chose to die for him. Yep. And this shows the schism within Tom Riddle slash Voldemort's kind of detached think. He is simultaneously incredibly detached from death and obsessed with it, right? He's obsessed Mm -hmm. with his own death, but he doesn't understand that that obsession actually reveals maybe something very true about like the power of dying and what it actually means. Because he just kind of academically says like, oh, yes, that would provide a very powerful counter curse or counter charm or whatever. And it's like, ooh, so close, buddy. (laughs) That's not really what's going on here, right? Like you're misunderstanding, in my opinion, the fundamental connection between your obsession with not dying and fear of it and what it actually looks like, the power of somebody who accepts dying entirely and volunteers mm-hmm. to do so right yeah that's the, it is the polar opposite of him yeah so he but he doesn't recognize it as that he he recognizes it only as like a potentially powerful counter charm to be like set in a category with other potentially powerful counter charms mm-hmm. as though it's in the same category yeah and not ancient magic type thing yeah yeah i mean it's very interesting also to link back to memory and this idea of like living because mm-hmm. so because one of my first things that I wrote down was like wait how is a memory acting or interacting with the material world so if he's a quote-unquote memory uh he shouldn't be able to talk to Harry to have a conversation with him to mm-hmm. pick up his wand and all this so I think it's like a subtle hint of like sure. this is not Something exactly is a memory mm-hmm. um but to go back to the thinking about living forever through memory is also something I haven't really thought about that deeply um, with this series, but it kind of reminds me of narratives of like, you want to leave your mark on the world. Mm-hmm. Or, and so we've talked about monuments and statues in the previous episode, but like it's kind of this very interesting, if I'm going to call thing, I don't know, I always resent resist to be like, oh, everything's like, this is like human, like, what you know, like this is just natural for humans to do. Because I, I have no other explanation, but humans seem to um, uphold this narrative of like to for to be alive and exist, to have it worthwhile or something, to be a good person, whatever it is that you want to fill in, you should leave your mark on the world that lives beyond your actual physical uh, self, which is a fascinating concept because you could have the sort of like not that perspective. What does that look like if you just exist without having a desire to leave your mark or your name or your legacy or mm-hmm. anything what does that kind of uh existence look like as a yeah. person and it's just really fascinating because Voldemort to me is the very extreme like taking it to the extreme of like he actually doesn't want to die he wants right. to like exist forever but I think it's incredibly fascinating as well to think about Voldemort and Lockhart and just how close together they truly are in these two chapters. Like they are denialists, they're liars. They completely fabricate things in Mm -hmm. order to get what they want. And it's done via via memories. Mm -hmm. It's done via like the medium is a memory. Yeah. Um, There's an irony in 
the diary in the sense that like until this moment uh Tom Riddle never told the truth about what actually is going on. So yeah, like he preserved yep. the memory, yep. but the memory itself is not true. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then he, when he finally reveals the memory, it's his deathbed, right? He, he gets uh, stabbed by a, uh, <laughs> a basilisk thing. But I do think we'll, we will for sure come back to talking about the diary uh, probably around book six in a few years from now. Yeah. But I th- I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, the way, because I had a lot of thoughts. First of all, uh, this was the first chapter that I remember since we started the podcast where I didn't even bat an eye. I just kept flipping the page into the next chapter and started reading. And then I was like, no, no, I need to stop to make sure that I like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, Don't I know what's ahead. coming, but yeah. I like to make sure that I'm talking about the specific chapter yeah. as much as possible without <laughs> blurring it too much. But mm-hmm. I think... Uh, yeah, there's just the, the 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 diary. The diary is has always been the most fascinating one to me. Yeah. To think about because it's like totally different quality and I think it has something to do with the time frame of its creation and the purpose of its creation is maybe a little bit different. It is very experimental and it's it's a very very powerful one compared to the other ones that we know about. Uh, But I think, like, just the whole book coming down to, like, memory and manipulation, and we're not done in the next chapter. Like, (laughs) We're not done. There's still more. Because we've had these manipulative characters throughout. Yeah. And one or two are uh, yet to be revealed, and I think they'll be equally interesting to juxtapose, right? Lockhart has been manipulative and, and Tom Riddle was manipulative. And like we see the ramifications of that. And then what are going to be the ramifications of these last two characters being Dobby and Lucius Malfoy uh, to sort of put a bow on this story of like how you man- manipulation and like it's the cruelty of it, right? When you don't start from the truth, it obscures everything, right? You you remove the ability for people to make decisions about their lives, to make choices in true circumstance as opposed to lies. So then you'll never truly know, like you, you, it bothers me. I mean, if I were to try to do one thing or like a principle to try to do is to tell the truth, because I think it's, It's just so difficult. And I struggle at times with like expressing all of the more deep truths that I feel. But I think like it's a it's such a critical project because when you don't and like we see in the past two chapters, it just completely. It's just horrible. It's horrible to me. Mm -hmm. The, The last two chapters are when we go go on and keep reading i wonder if i will stay on this but for me they're the they're the hardest two chapters of the whole uh two books that we've read so far mm. in the sense of like what is it what the themes the things that are at stake to me are just monumental they're terrible yeah so i there was a parallel that i wrote down that uh, so harry again is confronted with the master manipulator a master manipulator because I'm I'm excluding Lockhart from from this because last book it was Quirrell and so he's face to face with Quirrell at the end of the first book 
there's this reveal and you're like, oh man, I didn't see where that was coming. I mean, it's kind of interesting also because Harry goes into these like situations with friends or with people and then ends up like by himself for that final confrontation. So now we have Tom Riddle, who we find out is Lord Voldemort. And I don't know, it's just interesting to have that parallel like it's slightly different but it's a similar sort of thing like you're building up to this like hairy confrontation with whoever whoever it is i mean there was kind of like a mini confrontation with lockhart as well that's why they kind of pushed him to be like all right let's go let's go down here um i all i feel towards tom riddle when i'm reading this is i i just feel so sad because mm-hmm. he's he just seems so like you're talking about he's talking about it in an academic sense but it it feels like he's just brainwashed to me he's broken he's just it, and it's just it's completely consistent within his like how he's making sense of it and so i was trying to empathize because so something i do with my students when we're thinking about okay we interact with humans and like that's what the job is um the danger of a single story uh by Trimanda adiche and holding on to single stories like can have terrible effects so like in his mind the working like the the thing that operates is like muggle-born or evil my muggle dad left my mom because he found out she was a witch and it's like dude (laughs) you can't like extrapolate and be like all muggle are evil i want nothing to do with it yes it was it what that was really bad what your dad did like leaving you and like obviously you have trauma from that but like that doesn't justify the hatred of all muggle-born. And so, like, you see this conflict where, like, it's revealed and, like, Voldemort just kind of lays it out there and Harry gets very upset. Like, the way that she that she was, uh, J.K. Rowling was phrasing, like, the little phrases to even put near the dialogue that he was saying. Like, it was, it was very short, but it was just, like... <laughs> when uh Voldemort's just like oh I'm the greatest sorcerer of all time and he Harry just simply says you're not and I was Mm -hmm. like oh dear but she wrote his quiet voice full of hatred like there's something in here where Harry is just like and yeah Harry has his own stuff too and it's like everyone both Mm -hmm. of them with all their stuff is coming into conflict and there was the original conflict also that like made them quote-unquote enemies <laughs> harry was manipulated by liars for the first 12 years of his life 11 mm-hmm. years of his life right so 10 i guess the first yeah, year yeah. he wasn't but it's a yes it doesn't surprise me that harry is raging yeah he should be shaking with suppressed rage that was yes. another phrase that i i was like yeah he should be yeah i mean like it's an unforgivable thing to me this level of and I think the larger conversation and where this whole story kind of gets me is what does it mean for the white lies, for the things that we tell ourselves to feel good, for all the things mm-hmm. that we tell each other to to lift them up? I know there are sort of conversations about like, well, sometimes like a lie is preferable to the truth because like it, it helps people survive and things like that. But I disagree I do. I disagree like vehemently. I think you are, it's a sabotage. You, you it may look like a short-term gain, but it is long-term pain mm-hmm. to tell white lies to each other, to give advice that's, that's like cloudy, to, mm-hmm. to do these types of things, like to not admit when you don't know something, to mm-hmm. not, uh, 
admit when you've changed your mind to not, because it becomes a denialist sort of standpoint. And I think that's what Voldemort and Lockhart represent here is like two kind of different pathways of like telling some lies, Mm -hmm. telling some more lies, telling some more lies, like being able to stack a house of cards of lies Mm -hmm. and like, for both of them, it comes crashing down. They both have spells rebound on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so in essence, like they are done in by their own lies to themselves or expectations of what they're going to do. I mean, it's just as, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I think it's, it's really like very sad this to me is pro- it might actually be the saddest book. It's just so sad mm-hmm. to see these people like Tom Riddle is 16 years old. Yep. And this is his memory and he has manipulated people and he the hatred that he feels. Mm-hmm. But the willingness to cloud that hatred and sheathe it in like armors of lies and like all this and Harry's like I bet Dumbledore like saw right through you. Right? Yeah, yeah. And later on, we realized that like no, Dumbledore didn't. Like mm-hmm. he was c- somewhat suspicious, but like he yeah. didn't didn't know. You can't see through lies. Like some the onus is often on the liar. Like that's why when a liar gets exposed, like it's really it's really a sensitive moment because it's very hard to sort of like I I always wondered like in the follow-up here and I'm not sure that we ever really get a lot of clarity about Lockhart in particular because he is of course quite different than Voldemort in a lot of ways as well Mm -hmm. um but like what do people actually think about him right what does does he lose fans that you know all this Mm -hmm. stuff that that we don't necessarily get clarity on and I think the answer is no I mean I think people probably see it as like a tragic story I doubt that it fully gets accepted as like what actually happens whether even if it becomes public I don't even necessarily remember if that's part of the story yeah but it's just very sad and when we see him in Order of the Phoenix book five it's just equally sad man oh man Mm -hmm. super sad to see the ramifications of living that type of life yeah you're reminding me once again of my my kind of more extreme stance that words matter Mm -hmm. because they have power because Mm -hmm. they create a sort of it creates reality yeah words are not descriptive they're generative Mm -hmm. like you You even when you describe you create you build up monuments Yep. You build up ideals in your head, heroes, yep. villains, yep. all that type of stuff. And I think it's, and that's, that's why what for... fantasy does for me so mm-hmm. well, is it lets me actually like confront the things that I do that I don't actually recognize, recognize myself yeah. doing, like making people into heroes or like yeah. not paying attention to people's faults or over overburdening a different person with their faults because maybe I don't like them or something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, so going back to Lockhart, like, yeah, perhaps he probably, I mean, he might have lost a few fans, but I feel like because his focus was literally on his brand image, so like that constructs this reality that is the foundation for anything that follows. Yes. So, and I mean, we also see this with like different kinds of uh, public figures. And then if like a scandal happens, like how do people react? I mean, it kind of like 
depends on what is already in the back of people's minds. If you like, and this is also going back to like the lie thing, like you uphold people because it's like what everyone else is doing, but like secretly you're like, no, this is not, this is a garbage person. The second that they mess up and then the whole audience flips and you're like, wait, what's happening? So it just, it's very fascinating how like, cause there's like very, uh, as I'm saying that words, discourses matter, it's both like what is publicly open and what is like privately Withheld. inside. Yeah. yeah. Lockhart is a Photoshopped wizard. Mm. He photoshops his life, right? Mm-hmm. So I've always had conflicting feelings, like without getting too much into it, because it's not worth really getting into on the podcast, but like things like Instagram photoshopping and that t- type of stuff, I'm deeply saddened by it. I, it's mm. really sad. Even when there's like body positivity kind of attached to things like it, I think it's a short-term gain of body positivity when you do that type of stuff. Real, truly like being yourself and showing yourself warts and all is much better. I mean, it's for so much more freeing in my experience. When mm-hmm. I used to like be a bit more vain or, or worry about different things like that, it was it was such a focus of my life. And then once I stopped doing that, I, mm-hmm. it freed myself so much more, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I have other problems, but <laughs> yeah. that one is not one. Yeah. Social media gives me hardcore anxiety. I you know go this. On social media. You know that <laughs> I, I literally said to you yesterday or the day before, I hate Instagram. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't like, I don't like the polished stuff. I don't like how it, how it actually affects me. Mm-hmm. Not just like when I'm seeing stuff in the moment, but it's like, it's this, it's this thing that it's like interactions that happen over and over. So going back to the the neural pathways stuff or whatever, it just continually gets reinforced. Death like, by a hundred thousand paper cuts. Yeah, right? this is like how we interact, and then it just like mm-hmm. feeds off, and then like I post something that's like, hey, look at me, and then it, that that's like all I see when I when I'm on social media, and I I have to really pay attention to how I'm reacting, even in my kind of subconscious thoughts, because it affects like everything that I do Mm -hmm. and it's like super fascinating how how we do this to each other it's not it's not necessarily from a malicious thing of like oh I'm out to like make people feel bad because part of it does come from like I I would like some validation as a human that I'm like worth something yeah and it's just this very crazy thing that we've been existing in for the past I don't know. I don't know when Instagram started. I'm decade not, or so. <laughs> I would never say that in the spirit of truth, I would never say that I'm not torn about it. Yeah. But usually, excuse me, usually when I really probe at my feelings and like play it out in my head, I, I tend to hit the roadblock I hit is the lie mm. that the behind the all the sort of kind of gains that might be argued is a lie and so i that always disturbs me because i don't see those gains those gains evaporate right anything that like is sort of gained for me and again like i can't comment on other people but i worry about it like if i'm lying outwardly and i start to get like self-esteem from that it's built on a lie. Mm. So it will it is fragile. It's not built on truth, which is much more durable of like who I actually am, right? I'm not going to pretend. So Yeah. I think it's for me it's uh, more complicated. It's both true and a lie. Mm. And so that's what makes it messy is you can't distinguish between the two. And so I mean like I talk about this all the time of like being 
on social media, being on YouTube, being on Twitch, all of this, and like, there's this constructed version of who Praflinette is mm -hmm. that's still me, but it's not me, and it's really hard to like talk about. Like, I still <laughs> honestly don't know what it means. Like, I tr I literally think about this all the time, but I still haven't gotten to a final resolution. I think in part because it continues to change as like I am a exist as a human. And so it's very it's very messy and complicated because I think that it can be both true and a lie, but not because you can't you can't this is, I mean, this is just the reality. You can't control like what other people do like right. it would be. And going back to what I said last week, like being vulnerable at all in any sort of sense, if we're talking about like teaching and learning, which is the context I was talking about it last week, or if we're talking about just like having relationships with people, like actually saying what you think and feel puts you in a vulnerable position. And like you actually my opinion is that I will only do that with people who I truly actually care about. Like to be open and honest like that. I am, I would say, more open and honest as a public person than than like I should. Maybe I don't know if if, if I were if I had a PR person, maybe they'd be like, hey, maybe you should tone it down with like you your personal stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, touch it up, mm -hmm. make it phrase it this way or that way or whatever. Well, I appreciate I you know. saying that because I think like it gives me a lot to think about because I am a bit, I'm a bit of an outside commentator. I mean, I'm close to it somewhat with you and like streaming but streaming is different to me to some extent because we're very in the moment yeah so it's not as touched up Edited but, or, yeah. but i totally understand what you're saying about it and i think even what i'm saying now is not is a very incomplete sense of what i actually think about things because yeah. i've thought like for example a lot about like the metaphor of the horcrux out in the real world and what it means to like separate yourself and i think that's part of what you're getting to of like if you're presenting part of yourself only, could that be thought of as a lie? Maybe, but it's also true, definitely. So, like, if you obscure other parts, but it still is truly you, like, then, you know, who am I to say, like, true or false? But I think it's, it, there are lines that are are gray and, and moving, but they're still interesting and important, I think, to think about, mm -hmm. which obviously you do a lot, and I think a lot of people do. Yeah. especially in, in our, our generation and the yeah I one mean after I, I started thinking about this before I started my YouTube channel because mm. social media just got I don't know that I keep talking about being a millennial because like I feel like we grew up with the internet so I've it's it's something that was new something try to try to understand and so even though I didn't necessarily think about it in an academic sense when it first came out it is something that I feel like growing up with it during formative some sort of formative time, it is something that you're just still trying to process. And so I feel like there was a certain point when I, re I remember this distinctly. There was a certain point when I was like, wow, Facebook is really weird hmm. because like all the, it's like kind of the making the familiar strange. Like you're so like these things that are normalized and you're like, oh, everyone does this. It's just like we're talking about like this is how you talk on Facebook or whatever. But at a certain point I was like, this is really creepy. This is weird. And I don't I don't remember like it, there wasn't like a one moment. It was just this kind of like it coalesced into this clarity where I was like, what am I doing? Even? You pulled back the curtain. Yeah. For a second. And yeah. so it's it's kind of I mean, I feel like people tend to be aware of things, but we still do it. And I think that that's fascinating as mm -hmm. well. So I don't know what to make of that other than like this is just something we live with. And yeah. <laughs> we're trying to make sense of it's, every day. I don't know. It's very difficult. Yeah. yeah. 
So I think this podcast episode could be Special. 20 minutes of awesome <laughs> Harry Potter discussion and 20 minutes, minutes of like uh, my brain other hole. thinking. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, like it, don't like it. Oh cool. Oh my gosh. Glad yeah. you came around along, along for the ride. <laughs> but one more chapter of Chamber of Secrets. I know. Pretty intense. We pretty intense. Yes, we did. Oh, I should have saved, saved some things for the last the chapter, the whole book episode. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure we can we talk can about it again. Maybe things. our thoughts will have clarified even or gotten more murky. Mm, yeah. But uh, anything else? No, that's all. All right, cool. Till next time. Wands ready.